That's like magic. Yeah. Uh, so thanks, uh, Lacey and Justin, for being on, and every, anyone else who's on. Did, did either of you guys get a chance to read the book? I'm, I'm I have not through. yet. <laughs> True I have not, but thank you for signing it and sending it. So it's, it's definitely, I'm, I'm, my goal is to get it completed in the next two weeks. Yeah. I'm halfway through, and my goal is to finish hopefully in about a week. Awesome. All right, it's 11.30. So thank you guys for being on the book club call. And um, today, da-da-da-da, the book is Don't Say No for the Prospect, written by yours truly. And um, it was definitely a labor of love and kind of easy because there were just a bunch of stories. So uh, I, have, I, did, I thought it was going to be odd for me to you know, interview myself. So I asked my dear friend Barry Wolf with Marcus and Millichap, who I think you guys have heard Barry speak up on some of the prior book club <coughs> calls. And he's a dear friend, and we've uh, tried to do some business together for sure. Soon, we, Barry, we will. And um, so I'm going to turn it over to Barry, and Barry's going to ask questions. But absolutely, I think, Barry, you're good with people jumping in and asking oh, yeah. questions as well, right? Hundred, yeah, 100%. Please do. Yeah, so, I mean, it was – I guess first, congrats. I mean, it really – I know it's not easy to, to do what you did as far as – but, you know, focusing on it and making it a priority and, and writing a book like this. And it really was a fantastic read. It's got a ton of fantastic information in there. It's a quick read. I mean, it doesn't – I'm not the fastest reader in the world by any stretch of the imagination. It really didn't take me long to go through it. So it's a really easy read, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a ton of great information. Uh, it's just a story, so it goes pretty quickly. So it really is a fantastic read. So I encourage anybody in the industry or even not in our industry to read it. Uh, so I guess that, I mean, congrats. And then what was kind of the backstory? I'm curious as to why do you decide to write a book? What, what kind of made it come to be? Why did you decide to kind of finally, you know, not finally, I don't mean it that way, but to kind of bring it to fruition? What's kind of the backstory of it? Sure. Uh, so I do a lot of workshops and consulting and coaching around the country, as many of you know, and it always seems like at the end of the workshop or at the end of the roundtable, if I'm at an ICSE or, or some uh, meeting function, inevitably someone walks up and says, so when are you writing the book? And I think I heard that enough um, and I always, you know, I was an English literature major in, at Florida State. So I like the idea of writing, um, and I like doing a lot of the blogs that I write, but it just always seemed very overwhelming. And I asked a friend of mine, Angel Cicerone, who wrote um, a tenant mentorship book, and I said I was very proud of her for writing that book, and I said, you know, I asked her one day, we were in New York and we were out to dinner, I said, so you know, how did you get it done? And she goes, oh, every day for 20 minutes I wrote. And I'm thinking, and I, I literally you know, started getting dizzy thinking, okay, there's no way, no way that I'm going to do that. And then I had an opportunity to be um, at an event with Gary Vaynerchuk, who everyone you know, on these calls knows I love, and I asked him, you know, how in the world did you take time to write a book? And he said, I didn't. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I dictated it and had a ghostwriter or, or a co-writer. And I went, oh, my gosh. That's, I can do that. I can be driving around in the car dictating stories. And so um, I have a friend, Jill Ratson, who early on, like, you know, in, in 07, 08, when we were going through the global crisis, it was the first time, the first book club 
a call we started back then because not many of us were busy, and I said, you know, what can we do to improve ourselves during this slow time? I started doing some blogging, and what I would do is I would write it and then send it to her, and she would clean it up because at the time I was very insecure and thought, I need someone to polish this up. And her voice, she, my we voice We are experiencing technical difficulties. You and may not she, hear everyone on the call. You will be prompted when the conference is reconnected. Barry, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, hearing you. It's a, like a little, it was a, for the last moment or two, it was like a little bit fluttery kind of. Okay. So, um, so, uh, so anyway, so Jill was, could speak in my voice. So I had called her up. I'd be, we'd been talking about it, and I said, you know, uh, we, I said, if I ever write a book, I'd like you to write it. And she was, you know, interested in it, but she had biz, a business going on her own with her husband. And then last year, are you guys there? Sorry, we, I think you're having some technical difficulties. Barry, are I you there? Still here. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. I can hear you. Okay, great. So um, anyway, so I went to this conference. You know, everyone knows I like going to conferences, and. Um, I went to the National Speakers Association conference in Dallas, and I went to a workshop, and it was about writing a book. And, and basically, at that point, I left that workshop. I said, I'm, I'm going to stop. It was always on my things to do list, and I said, I really need to just execute on this. I called Jill. I said, if you can do it, great. If you can't, I'm going to move on and find someone else. She said she was ready. It was perfect timing. She said, when do you want to get it out? I said, I don't know. And she goes, how about year end? And that was July. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, we could send them for Christmas gifts to your clients. I'm like, perfect. And, um, and, that's, and we started the next week, and, we, got, and we, we kept to a schedule, and we got it done. And I was very happy with the end result. Very cool. No, it came out fantastic. And what was your – I mean, your – one of the most giving people in the business, and I think that's kind of what you're known for. What, what, was, what were you hoping, what was your goal to accomplish with the book, or is it just kind of the, here's my knowledge, but what, what was your goal? What did you want to accomplish? Anything particular? Um, obviously, you know, helping. I like to help people, and it's easier. I keep, you know, I, I tend to repeat the same stories over and over, and, and I always, when I'm, like yesterday I did a roundtable at the ICSE camp, and I started telling a story, and I said, you guys have heard this story, and they're all like, no, never heard the story. I think I've, you know, told the story 150 times, but, you know, new people keep coming into the business, and I can't talk to all of them, and, I, and, and then people will walk up to me, like yesterday afternoon, someone walked up and said, that story that you told at the roundtable today was so awesome, and it helped me with, you know, this issue I'm having with this deal. And I thought, well, why don't I just put the stories in a book, and maybe the book will end up in the right hands, and it'll help people, because certainly I'm not going to be able to be all over the country talking to, you know, all of the real estate, you know, leasing agents that, you know, I could okay. share 32 years of <laughs> mistakes and successes with. Hey. Hey, how, did, how did you come up with a slogan and when did, was it? Uh, Don't say no for the prospect. <laughs> <laughs> did you just push that or did someone else just push that? I Don't love that. Don't say no for the prospect. <laughs> no, I did. I so, got it sitting here on my desk. So. Oh, awesome. So um, I, I've been saying that for years and, 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 and students of mine will come up to me, you know, again at conferences and say it to me. And, and, and I would tell you that 90% of people that call me with a question or call me for advice, 90%, the answer is get out of your head. 
always. I just had someone email me this morning and ask me something, and I said, why aren't you trying it? And the answer was, well, the, the vets in my office told me it's a waste of time, or what if they say no, or the negativity that we always, that we ourselves put in our heads to make us – like, why didn't I write the book for 14 years? I wanted to write the book for 14 years. Why didn't I do it? The negative thoughts in my head. What if no one reads it? What if it's too hard to write it? It's all – Recorded. Why we don't do um, – why we don't execute on something, what I find, Barry, is 98% of the time, it's because – we are, it's our own doing by putting, having negative thoughts in our head. No, and that's, when I read the book, it really has changed my mindset. Even I mean, at the standpoint of some things, I've, as far as properties sending you, I and mean, there are times I've, eh, it's not going to be for her, and I've done this with other clients, and I, I don't bother sending, and I've kind of started, you know, whether it's sending properties or conversations of, I don't know the answer in reality for them, so don't, don't say no, and it, you literally don't say no for the prospect. It's kind of been popping in my mind certain times of just do it and let them, you know, if it's not for them, they'll say no, and you, know, you, move, you move on. But don't, as you say, don't say no for them. Let them say no or let them, you know, right. some percentage you know, of the time they're actually going to say yes. Exactly. I have a young, a young man living with us uh, for his senior year. His parents um, had to move for job reasons, and he was a senior in high school and very involved in and he's staying with us for the year, and he's kind of a shy kid, and he has his eye on this young lady. And, you know, we're talking at the dinner table. I'm like, well, why haven't you asked her out? And he goes, no, she might say no. And I'm like, I know. But, and I, I have the button, you know, in the kitchen, and I'm pushing the button, and the kids are pushing the button. We're like, you know, Ryan, don't say no for the prospect. She already said no if you don't ask her. It's already a no. So you can only go up, and if she says no, you're in the same place. So he went and asked her out, and, of course, she said yes. And we were like dancing around celebrating at home. And, and he, went home, he went home for the weekend and he told us, I didn't say no for the prospect. And his mom like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, it, how many times have we said, oh, uh, you know, I, I want to talk to that retailer and I think they would be great in my property. Or let's say, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is down the street and they don't have a drive-through and you're building a property that you could put a drive-through. Well, they're not going to move over. Or they're not, you know, I, I remember I did a Maggie Moo's ice cream. I, I, I wanted to do, I had a, a smoothie guy going out. I said I looked up. Okay, best of ice cream in South in Davie. Maggie Moo's ice cream pops up as the best of. They're across the street in a federal realty-owned million square foot, you know, huge power center. And I'm in a little 42,000 square foot strip center. And and the vet hat, you know, the vet negative, you know, not negative, but the vet hat, the experienced hat on my head said. Well, they would never move over here. They've got Costco. They've got Ross. They've got Home Depot. They've got TJ Maxx. They've got Office Depot. They've, you know, they have everyone over there. And I'm a little un unanchored 42,000 strip. They would never. And then I heard myself say that. And I said, okay, don't say no for the prospect. Take your vet hat off. Take that experienced hat off, that jaded hat off, and go over there. So I grab my kids, and Friday night we go over there. I walk in. And there's 3,000 square foot ice cream store, literally goosebumps up and down my arm because I know immediately that they're not supposed to be in 3,000 square feet. And they ended up moving a year later to my center. So that's, that's, that is, that's, 
that is don't saying no, you know, not saying no for the prospect. Well, I think it's also being willing, and, and you address this in the book. I'm looking at page 41, and you know, it's a counterproductive to be averse to hearing no. And I'm thinking back. I mean, you've got so many examples of that. And I even remember, you know, I just finished reading or listening to you had done recently the book Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and he references, and, and you do too, embrace no. I mean, you want to get to know, like even your the boy who's living with you, even if the answer had been no from the girl, at least then he kind of knows it and he goes about it, he moves on. And, and you know, exactly. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with no. Exactly. Hey, guys, we've got some people, yeah, we need some people to mute your line if you're not talking. Yeah, please mute your button. Yeah, everyone mute your button if you if you could until you want to jump in for a question. Yeah, you know, and, and I was actually talking about this yesterday with someone, and I think it was a Tom Hopkins uh, cassette. <laughs> cassette. Some of the people on the phone don't even know what cassettes are, David uh, Barry, but you and I do. So um, I had a, there was a cassette program, and what he said was, you know, calculate what your average commission is. So let's say your average commission is you know three thousand bucks. Um, and you know you canvas or you cold call or prospect a hundred people, so that's thirty dollars, thirty dollars per, you know, per door that you knock on. And what he used to say is, as you leave with the no, you in your head say thank you for the thirty dollars, thank you for the thirty dollars, because you know after you hit a hundred, you probably are going to get a deal. And so every no is a value towards the yes. You're, you're making a deposit into that we virtual bank account. We are experiencing technical difficulties. You may not hear everyone on the call. You will be prompted when the conference is reconnected. We're really having technical difficulties yeah. today. I'm hoping everyone hears us, but we just need to keep going and assume yeah. that we're all good, and if not, we'll, we'll do the call another day. Do but let's keep going, Barry. And if anybody's, I mean, feel free, anybody that wants to jump in either a comment or a question for Beth is a great opportunity to interact with her directly. So feel, please do jump in. Beth, this is Miles Stepner with Avis and Young. I'm curious because there are so many, and this could be a little off topic with, um, you know, uh, as it relates directly to don't say no for the prospect, but with so many uh, different uh, areas where we can prospect these days, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Canvas, cold call. Um, how could you recommend? Sometimes, you know, it's, it's just like your head spinning. There are so many different directions you can travel to try and source leads. How, how would you recommend we organize ourselves to be able to attack on all these different fronts with our prospecting? Great question, Miles. Great question. So. I would tell you that the first thing that you want to identify is the audience, right? So if you are wanting to focus on national retailers, I think that I would probably stay focused on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I did a LinkedIn post actually and I said, hey, national retailers, how do you want us leasing agents to reach out to you? And um, very few said email. You know, they're getting three and 400 emails a day, and they're just, you know, we as a culture aren't even deleting them anymore, right? So I think that, and, and I have a client who started using LinkedIn to set Vegas appointments three or four years ago, and they said that their Vegas appointments went, shot up 40% because the national retailers looking at their LinkedIn and saying, okay, you know, here's two messages versus their emails that which are 350. So I think, you know, I don't know, Miles, how long you've been in the business, but 
you know, when I first, 32 years ago, our options, or, or maybe 20 years ago, our options were cold call, canvas, um, fax, right? Now, now people are cold calling through text. So I think that there are certainly heads, there's a lot more options, but I, what, what works for me is picking the thing that you're most comfortable with, and I'm making sure that you're providing value. So I think that if you're throwing up your flyers on LinkedIn and thinking that someone's going to see that and respond, I don't think that's as good as um, Joshua Ladle in South Florida has been doing a bunch of market information. And I think that that's fabulous because if a national retailer is looking in a submarket and he, they see Josh's posts about market comps, they might, they're probably, my guess, going to reach I'm out done. to him. So I think that to, so I think don't try to be be all and end all and do 15 ways to prospect. You know, if you like, I love canvassing. I love getting out. I like looking in the market for acquisitions while I'm out. So I will never give up, give up on canvassing. Cold calling is not, that's not something I like doing. I don't get a lot of good results out of it. So I do a lot less of that. Uh, Facebook, when I'm trying to find mom and pops, I've been doing Facebook direct messages and I'm getting 33% response. Never in 32 years have I seen that kind of response. I love that, so I'm doing more of that. I just started on Instagram, and I'm going to try that. I don't know if that will work. I'm going to try it. So, but right now, the, the highest and best use of my time is canvassing and Facebook prospecting. So Excuse me for a second. Question. Sorry, Beth, but somebody needs to mute their phone because we can hear all this noise, and I'm having a hard time, Beth, hearing you. Sorry. Sure, sure, sure. If you guys could mute your phones unless you, you ask a question, that would help us. So I think that it, you can get lost and go down a rabbit hole. That's, you have to stay disciplined. So I think that you pick you know, an hour a day to do social media prospecting or maybe three times a week. With Facebook prospecting, you can only do 10 a day. 10, maybe we've, on a stretch we've been able to do 14. That can take us 10 or 15 minutes. It's kind of easy peasy. So I think pick two or three, focus on that, do that for a month, see if you're getting the return on your investment of your time. If not, switch it up. But don't try to do 10 because you, you I, I don't think you'll get – it won't be quality. You won't get the, the return on your investment. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, that helps a tremendous amount with just kind of, uh, you know, uh, giving me some confidence in, I think, not spreading myself too thin and just picking an avenue I'm comfortable with, trying to provide some value uh, in my correspondence when I do that um, so, so it engages them and brings them in. That, that helps a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. Hey, Beth, before we move on to the next one, it's Aaron. I, I was actually surprised you didn't say this, um, but you basically alluded to it without directly saying it. Time blocking, I've found, has been very helpful for me, especially as, as, a really, as it relates to Jeb Blount's book. Mm -hmm. And so executing on – because doing something new with all the different platforms that are out there for sourcing leads, I think, is can be a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people. And so, like, what I've done is – what I used to do when now it's become habitual, but like what I used to do was I used to block out like 30 minutes every Monday afternoon to get on LinkedIn and just add more people and throw messages out there and stuff. So I would just insert the time blocking element of that. And so basically having like a set time to do 
those Facebook messages or set time to make those cold calls to nationals, et cetera. Thank you, Aaron. 100%, 100% time blocking. I, you know, I'm trying to do it. I try to do it uh, when I wake up around 5.30 to 6.30 before I start breakfast for the kids. And then after I take them to uh, their bus, I come back and try to do it for another hour. And then maybe I do it, you know, sporadically during the day. But I try to get it done um, and I've, since Agent 2021, which was about a month ago, I've committed to doing two hours of social every day. I'm probably doing it about three times a week. But I've upped it. I've doubled that. Uh, up before that, a month ago, I was doing it about an hour a day. But I'm substituting uh, social engagement for other things I was doing to prospect. So is that, Beth, you going on Instagram, Facebook, just looking for contacts and, or sending messages? Or what, what, do you, what does that so, look like? What is kind of the time? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, so, so, so an hour of it, so I do about 15 minutes of education. Like, so I just started Instagram, so I'm learning about Instagram. So you know, like three or four people yesterday said, so you're on Instagram now. It's very funny. So um, 15 minutes, I try to do education. There's things that are new all the time, and I'm like maybe learning from other people that are heavier on uh, the certain platform. I'm watching maybe a, a post or a, a two or three minute uh, tutorial on the new platform that I'm trying. 15 minutes is I'll go on maybe 15 to 30 minutes depending. I'll go on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and um, Instagram and comment back to the people that have commented on my posts. Uh, so that's, you know, just responding is about 15 to 20, 30 minutes, depending on how many I have. And then I do about 20 to 30 minutes of prospecting. So I might be doing, I might, like I, this morning I read the Shopping Centers Today magazine. I read about a new company that I am not connected with. I went on LinkedIn. I made sure I was connected to the decision makers of the company. And I did some research on the company. So so now I can, do, I can try to provide them value now that I've learned about their company. So I'm doing research. I don't want to just write them and go, hey, you want me to come train your people? Like that's just putting a flyer up without, you know, I want to provide value first. So and then I went to see if I'm going to the OAC, ICSE OAC in two weeks. I, I did some research to see of the people at that company who's going to be there. So that was about 15 or 20 minutes. That, in my mind, is prospecting. That's a potential future client that I don't think knows who I am, and they, I need to get on their radar. And then, um, and then another 15 or 20 minutes posting. So whether it's a post on Facebook, whether it's a post. So some of you saw I did a post for the book club on Instagram. I think I did it on Facebook. I didn't do a post for the book club on LinkedIn. So I haven't done a post yet today on LinkedIn. I'll probably do something later on today. And what I'm going to do is that email I got this morning from the young woman who asked me for advice, now I'm going to do the post. Because if she has the question, and, and her question was, how do I get this retailer to respond? And I gave her four or five ideas. That will be my LinkedIn post later. Very cool. Awesome. So, Beth, again, on the book, one of the things that jumped out at me, I'm looking at page 29 uh, as far as lessons learned. And I guess, first of all, you know, don't say no, so you're looking to open a dialogue with somebody. And you have, you know, you have the whole point of meeting someone for the first time is to open a dialogue. And you have, here's a novel idea. I want to ask, you know, get someone talking, ask them a question. You've got that in bold. Um, and then, yeah, obviously then it's also then shut, basically shut up and listen. 
Any thoughts there um, as far as kind of starting that dialogue and how you go about doing that? Absolutely. You know, this is crucial because, you know, I just uh, was showing space with someone the other day, and um, the way you ask questions is very important. So what I recommend we all do is we write down literally on a piece of paper or, you know, on your tablet however you like to wherever you like to write things and write the questions that you want to make sure that you get answered whether it's on a call whether it's at a showing and then look at the question you want to ask and and then rewrite it to where you're asking it more aspirational for example when you're canvassing and you know those of you that have canvassed with me and I still make the mistake but sometimes I'll say so is this your only location right terrible question Instead, how many, how many locations do you have, right? Or you're, if you're in a showing and you say, so, do you have any experience? Terrible question. But what happens is you're in the moment. And when you're in the moment and you're trying to remember all the things I have to ask the person, you don't really think about how you're asking it. So I highly recommend you write the questions down and use it as a cheat sheet or, you know, as you're showing space so that the person feels good after the interaction with you and you get the information you want to get. How many times, I'm sure a lot of us have been in the situation where we hang up the phone or we walk out of the showing and we're like, crap, I didn't ask them, you know, where are they going to get their money to invest in the space or how did they get into the business? You know, it's all about creating dialogue and there's great questions to ask to start and create the dialogue. But, we have to, but it's hard when you're in the moment to remember those and to remember to ask them appropriately. So I'm a big believer in writing down the questions. There's nothing wrong with having a cheat sheet while you're in front of the prospect or on the phone talking to the prospect. So that's, that, and asking is everything. You know, I've, I've had showings. I was in Chicago last week, and we went canvassing with a group of people. And, I, and, you know, I'll do it, and then they'll do it, and then I'll do it, and then they'll do it. And, and it inevitably, when they first do it, they're talking way more. And then when we flip it over they, and they see me do it, I say, okay, how many questions did I, did I ask versus how many questions you ask? It's, you know, it's, again, Tom Hopkins, telling ain't selling, asking is. You're not to go in there and go, you should come to my property because of this. You should da-da-da. You should. You, and, and that's all I hear a lot of is they, most people in sales think our job is to deliver the 43 reasons why they should buy our product when instead we should be collecting and gathering information and then seeing if our product fits. And then giving, delivering the information of our product, for example, like, our, you know, so you're looking at the Winn-Dixie Center down the street and we have the public center. Are you familiar with the difference in sales volumes between the two? You know, asking the question instead of telling. If you ask it, then they are more engaged than if you tell it, they tend to shut down. Hey, Beth, this is Justin in Knoxville, and I loved your point about the work that it takes to cultivate a pipeline and get those conversations going. What are some of your best practices for keeping that conversation going over sometimes the many years it takes to get that 
warm introduction into an actual deal that's moving through your pipeline. Sure, sure. Thanks, Justin. Um, providing value, providing value, providing value, and you know what? One more thing, providing value. So Barry Wolf, our interviewer for today, was the listing broker on a property that I bought in 2008. And now I'm going to embarrass him, but ever, every month, every month since 2008, Barry Wolf reached out to me every month since 2008 and provided value. And in 2016, and never asked for the business, which is this is the, the part that I embarrass him on, which of course he should have probably three yeah. years in, but never said, hey, are you, you know, do you want to sell the center or do you want to sell any center or can I help list? You know, he always provided value. So he would send a little, you know, he'd call me. I'm going to be at the ICSE in Vegas. You know, are you going to be there? And now he knows my rule that I don't meet with people that I know. If you're in South Florida, we can just meet in South Florida, right, Barry? Correct. Right. So, but we, um, in all those years, eight years, we had lunch once. It was the closing lunch after we bought the deal. But he would drive by the center and he would say, hey, I saw you sign Mission Barbecue. Congratulations. I ate there in Baltimore. Love them. Or, oh, wow. Uh, or he'd send me a text. Oh, I saw the, the renovations coming along nice. Or I'd get a call and he'd leave a voice message and said, I'm sending you the new Marcus and Millichap report. Pay attention to uh, the, the category on unanchored strips, I think you'll find it very interesting. So always provided something of value. So eight years later, when I said, okay, we've decided to sell Arrowhead, there was only one name, one person that I even considered hiring to lease the property. Like Now, eight years, never asked me for the business, but never, he was always the top of mind guy. Now, you know, Barry can talk about this. I'm sure he thought, what, you know, I, I, well, he, I, I, you know, eight years I'm investing in this girl, but it was, it was, you know, two minutes a month. So we, you know, we, we joke in my workshops, I calculate that. Two minutes a month times 12 months times eight years. The investment of the time versus the commission check, had we sold it, would have been, you know, I don't know, 30,000% return on his, on his investment. So Justin, you've got to work, you know, you've got to provide value. And, in, and, in, and I think what, what hmm? a lot of retailers hate is, hi, do you like my All site? Right. Hi, do you like my site? Hi, do you like my site? You know, we don't do anything of value, which is, you know, we sh this, what Joshua Ladle's doing in South Florida by publishing market information, very thorough market information on LinkedIn, is phenomenal because some national retailers looking in that market is going to find that information, I hope, and say, wow, this guy really knows this market inside and out. If, you know, if I'm looking for a tenant rep broker, I'm going to call him. Does that help? Yeah, of course it does. Sorry, hey John, move for a second. Thanks. Yeah. So we don't do enough providing value. And I think, Beth, and if you hit on this with social, and you mentioned as far as I think it, you said it's Josh, it's so much easier to do now than in 2008 when we first started working together. Back then it had to be me picking up the phone or maybe dropping something in the mail. Nowadays, I mean, like Josh is doing, you can do that on social, and they're providing value to people you don't even know you're providing value to. And right. at some point, some of those people are going to reach out to him or at a conference and come introduce themselves or just, you know, you're, you, you can add value to people that, yeah, again, you don't even know, and you can leverage that, and you can be adding value while you're sleeping. 
Uh, so it's definitely gotten you know far easier to do that today than you know just five, six, seven years ago. Exactly, and and I think it's it's helpful with career paths. You know, um, for young people, young people tell me all the time, "Well, what do I have to add to social?" You have to, you know, like what Gary Vaynerchuk says: document, don't create. Document the journey. You know, document. Okay, I'm going canvassing for my first day today. I'm kind of scared, um, but this is what I learned. You know, I had a young guy from Phillips Edison, Tim Butterfield. He said, "I want." You know, I, I talk about it's not who you know. It's it's not who you know. It's who knows you. And he goes, "How do I get people to know me?" I'm six months in the job, and I said. Um, let's do a Tuesday. I said, what do you like to do? He goes, I love to read. I said, great. Let's do a Tuesdays with Tim and write every, on LinkedIn every Tuesday the, what book you're reading and list three things that you got out of the book. Maybe you'll help other juniors. Maybe you'll help other people that read books. But, you know, and, and look, I hope you're my, my client's, you know, Philip Sutton. I hope you stay with Philip Sutton forever. But you're putting yourself out there. People are going to start to see you and know you. So being involved in providing value will help your career path. Not to mention, back to what Barry's point is, is, is it's very cheap to run ads to uh, target audiences. So if you guys you know, want to target national retailers or uh, buy on uh, both Facebook and on LinkedIn. So r running ads for $50 um, is, is pretty easy. I don't know if you guys have seen Jeff Dervich's Facebook ads, but he's not spending that much. I see that ad every day. Now, I am a buyer of real estate, and my guess is I'm his target audience. So, so advertising also is you know, cheap, cheap, cheap if you have a specific audience that you want to target with your, uh, your valuable information you're posting. Very cool. Well, real quick, Beth, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't, we can't talk about this book or talk to you and not talk about canvassing. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're the canvassing queen. I, I don't think even, I'm not sure canvassing would even be that well known in the industry if not for you. How did you first kind of come across it? Is it something you still, I, I know the answer to this, but is it something you still do? What is the benefit of it? Okay, what's canvassing karma? Kind of let's, let's kind of chat about canvassing. Sure, 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 sure. So yeah, I do it. I try to do it once a week. Um, early on in my career, I did it, I think I did it every day. I probably, I, I know when I was leasing the fountains, 400,000 square foot property and plantation, we took it over. We, uh, the property had lost 100,000 square feet of tenants. So that property was absolutely persona non grata. And um, I would show up at the office around 8, do some paperwork. I was out by 10. I'd come back around 4, do paperwork, make some follow-up cold calls. I did that for every day. I was canvassing probably 50 to 100 people a day. Six months in, not one deal. And I thought, okay, I obviously can, should not be being a leasing agent because I don't know what I'm doing. But it was such an oh, – we had to turn around the thought process of the local retail community because since 100,000 people had moved out, the, the, the local mom and pops, you know, the nationals that were there were doing great, but the mom and pops, like, had no interest. 
And they're like, you know, the place is jinxed. Why would we go there? And what they didn't understand was the developer had given full build-outs, no guarantees, and um, a year free rent. So when the free rent went away and the, the mom and pop had zero investment in the space and their rent went from zero to 40 in a market that should have been 25, it was easier for them all to move out, which they did. So overcoming the odds, so I went to my boss after six months and I said, I, I obviously shouldn't be in leasing. So, and he said, well, you know, and back then we didn't have CRM, we had binders with prospect sheets and I, I had like five binders full of prospect sheets. He said, just, you know, what you're doing is right. And thank God I stuck with it because the compounded effort of that canvassing, um, you know, I always say, you know, get five no's. Before, before you give up on the prospect. If you think the prospect could be good for your property, you know, don't give up until you have five no's. Because the first three, they, don't even, they can't even appreciate who you are or what you're selling. So it takes three for them, for when you walk in, for them to go, oh, you're the leasing agent person for that shopping center. So uh, the next six months, I leased 50,000 square feet. It was my first $100,000 year, and I was 32, I think. So um, canvassing works, but you can't – like people – I run into ICSE, and they say, oh, canvassing doesn't work. I go, really? Well, tell me why you think that. Well, I went once, and I didn't get a deal. So yeah, that for sure, that doesn't work. But if you work it, just like Barry worked me, and if you canvas, um, and the whole canvassing karma thing is for sure, whenever every, you know, when you have that person, you know, maybe it's the National, the Starbucks, Sherwin-Williams, TJ Maxx, and you've sent them an LOI, you're waiting for them to call back. I promise you, if you go out canvassing, that you'll get that call you, you've been waiting for. I mean, I have... That's going to be a future book is canvassing, karma, canvassing and canvassing karma stories because I get those all the time. I get texts, just had a canvassing karma today. So I think um, that happens. And, you know, that's just whether it's granola or luck. But, you know, the, the universe will reward you if you get up, get up off your butt and go do the hard stuff. I mean, canvassing is not easy. It's not, but, you know, the best canvassing is when it's pouring rain. Or, you know, I was in Chicago last week, and it was freezing. It was like 22. It might have been even lower than that. And we went, we went um, canvassing, and my team couldn't believe the, how, much, um, uh, how much interest we had from the prospects. So uh, I'm a huge believer in canvassing. I go every chance I get. I just am a little busier today than I was in my junior years, but in my junior years I would do three, four, five, five days a week. That's great. No, and I'm a big believer in the karma. Like you say, going out in the cold or the rain, I, I, think the, yeah, I agree. The universe watches those things. It makes no sense, I know. But you know, if you're out there doing it in the cold or the rain or even on a holiday, you get bonus points as it relates to karma, and it, it, it will come back to you. It may not be that day. It may not even be that week. But at some point, it does come back to you, and I don't know why or how, but it just does. Well, in the rainy days, the reason I remember I was going to CB in Raleigh, and my client calls, he goes, oh, you're going to kill me. I said, why is that? He goes, it's going to be pouring rain here tomorrow. I'm like, great. He's like, what? You're crazy. I said, tell the girls to wear their rain boots because when, you, when it's pouring rain, there's no one going into the store. So the, the store owners love you. They, they, they have more time to talk to you, and they feel bad for you. So, you know, I just say get a rain jacket, get some boots, and get an umbrella and go. That's awesome. Anybody want any, anybody, uh, input, anybody, thoughts? 
and get their line. All right, uh, this is in. Matt here in um, Los, Los Angeles area. How are you? Hi. Great, great. Um, first of all, congratulations again on the book. Um, that's phenomenal um, that you've um, had it unleashed finally, so that's great. And um, for my story, um, that's similar because, um, as I said in the previous call, I'm from Columbus, Ohio originally. So um, after I did an MOD shift um, from Eastland Mall, I said, okay, I'm going out there prospecting. You know, it's, you know, of course, you know, for me, it, it was any time of the day. You know, it didn't matter. So um, it was one of those, like, snowstorms where it was, you know, very um, slick out on the street you know, icy and, you know, just piled up snow in a parking um, area. So I went into this old shopping center where I used to go as a child. And don't you know, I found a tenant that looked like they were a national tenant, but they were local. And I said, whoa, I haven't seen this here before. It was actually like around the area where the Chuck E. Cheese was, you know, moons ago when I was a kid. So I went there, you know, talked with them, got information. Um, I wound up getting um, called back from that uh, business owner. And they said, well, we were actually going to contact your mall. And, you know, lo and behold, you contacted us first. I said, well, there you go. So um, after that, um, you know, we talked and walked through space, um, even met with them, like, really, like, after hours, because they could only meet, like, in the evening. So I said, okay, we'll meet, like, 7. Really, it was after 8 o'clock, you know, towards mall closing. So don't you know, they wanted the Radio Shack space that became vacant, and they made it their own. And my former boss, who um, had hired me and then moved on to her former company, you know, saw the pictures of the space. She said, this does not look like a Radio Shack. It doesn't look anything like that. And don't you know, honest to God, tooting my horn, I filled that Radio Shack space faster than anybody else had their Radio Shack space filled. <laughs> So that was very proud. I even have that on my LinkedIn and everything because I w looked around at some of the, you know, more dominant shopping centers and theirs were still vacant. So, you know, that was a proud moment of like canvassing in the middle of a snowstorm when like nobody else really was out there. That's fabulous. I love that story. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. That's great. You know, I, what I also I love about canvassing, you know, a lot of times when I'm canvassing, I find properties that I'm interested in buying. So uh, that's why I still like to canvas a lot because I'm looking for different things. But also when I'm canvassing, I find uses that I didn't know existed. So, uh, you know, we, I was canvassing once and I walked into this what looked to be like a catering facility and I, was, I didn't know what it was. And I walked in and um, I, uh, I, I, I said, and it, we saw this like counter and we could smell food and it was in the elbow of the center. And this girl comes bebopping out from the back and I said, she goes, hi, how can I help you guys? And I'm standing there with like four people. And she says, um, I, I said, well, we own shopping centers. I'm, what do you guys do? She goes, oh, we're the Broward County, which is the county I live in, the Broward County School District lunch provider. And I'm like, you're what? And he goes, we provide lunches to all of the public schools in Broward County. And I'm like, from this one location? Oh, no, we have seven. Seven locations. I said, oh, my gosh, goosebumps. I said, so um, do you, like, need more locations? She goes, absolutely. She goes, actually, we're looking for three more locations now. I go, well, and what kind of spaces do you like? She goes, oh, we like older restaurants that have, ha that have hoods and grease traps, and we don't need to be in a very prominent location. We can be in the corner like this one. Goosebumps. So who, ha who, that would not have been on my top five list of prospects to go after. I didn't even know that existed. Hey, Beth, so, it's, it's Jake Dugan. How are you? Hey, Jake, how are you? Good, good. Um, I actually do have a, a, a tenant that I didn't even know existed. Uh, good story for you. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar 
with a concept called Code Ninjas? I, I am. They're, they just opened in Cooper City. I think Mogerman did that deal. You, so okay. tell, tell us your story. So yeah, they're starting, to, uh, they're starting to expand. I'd encourage anyone to look them up. Um, they take about 2,000 to 2,400 square feet. And it's basically a concept where uh, there is um, like a studio and they teach uh, young children how to write code. And it's through, it's through like a video game. So the kids, you know, think they're playing a video game, but in reality they're learning how to code. And uh, just with the way, you know, technology is moving, I, I think, uh, I think it, you know, it's a really viable tenant. Um, and so I'm actually negotiating a deal with them, and the lease should be signed uh, here in a couple of weeks in Austin, Texas. So uh, they're a great concept and something I didn't even know existed until uh, I was canvassing and stumbled upon them. Exactly. Right? So, so sitting in your office saying, okay, I'm going to call a beauty supply or I'm going to call Kumon, you know, if you don't get your butt out and start looking at other properties, you wouldn't even know. And that, what a great destination tenant that is, right? Which we all want more destination tenants. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Beth, it's Eddie Gonzalez in Phoenix. Eddie, how are you? I'm living the dream. How are you? Living the dream. I have a quick story for you. I just got off a phone call with a landlord. We've got an interesting 2,800 square foot space in a small shopping center. The 800 square feet of it was an addition off the back end of the center. Huh. Gentleman approached me and said, hey, I do something very similar to what Peloton does, and I just need a little tiny space so I can bring a few people in video stream of me doing these cycle classes, and I want to do it somewhere that's kind of a grungy feel. Do you have anything? Mm -hmm. We looked at the space. He's like, yeah. And I, of course, just read your book, so I didn't say no. He couldn't only have the back part of it. The landlord loves the idea, and I'm going to write the LOI when we get off the phone call. Here's the awesome, Eddie. That's fabulous. Hey, if any of you guys are not following Eddie Gonzalez on Instagram, you should. You, 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 you're, you're motivating me, Eddie, to do more Instagram. <laughs> Beth, here's the kicker. It's a pretty low-end center. We were going to lease the whole 2,000 square feet for about $3,000 a month. Yeah. This gentleman has made a $2,000 a month offer on the 800 square foot space. Wow. Fabulous. Congratulations. Thank you. You motivated me to do it. I appreciate you. Yay! Awesome. Hey, and, hey and Beth. Beth. Yeah, it's, it's Jorge Ventura here. Hey, Jorge. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Awesome. So I'm sitting here with our new hire, um, Jessica Alvarez, and um, I've, I've pretty much been trying to teach some of the tidbits that you taught me along the way. Um, can you speak a little bit about tenant placement in shopping centers and what makes a shopping center successful as far as destination and um, compulsory uses? Sure, sure. So every shopping center in my mind has two kinds of tenants, either impulse or destination. And we, we need to make sure we're putting the right tenant in the right space. And I think that I, as I travel around the country, I would tell you that 90% of the vacancy are in the elbows. And, and if you look around at the shopping center, 
that that 90% of vacancy is in the elbow, you're going to find that there's a destination tenant that is in an impulse space that should have been put in to the elbow. So for example, an L-shaped strip center with a vacant 6,000 square feet in the elbow, and you look at the rest of the center, and on the end cap is a physical therapy studio for 4,000 square feet, right? So it's very important because I think we would all agree that 100% of destination tenants want to be in impulse spaces, and 0% of impulse tenants can succeed in destination spaces. So we, sh we, we should not be in a hurry to just get a lease done, right? We should be smart. So when H&R Block calls us and says we want it the end cap, but we know they're only open three months of the year, that's just not the right tenant if we want to drive traffic to the center. So and there is one time where, I'll, where I will agree to put a destination tenant on an end cap is when they pay $5 more a square foot you know, or 20% more. I, I can be mercurial when it comes to that, but it's not smart leasing. That's not rock star leasing by, you know, H&R Block calling and saying, I want the end cap, and you don't do everything in your power to get them off of the end cap, right? Or a physical therapy. You know, one, that same story, the fountains, the 400,000 square feet, um, we had a tenant that was, uh, a, it was called Sportsman's Paradise, and for those of you in South Florida might remember them 20 years ago in Dade County in Miami, they had seven locations, and they wanted to open their first one in Broward. But they wanted the main space, and they wanted to pay single digits. And if you can imagine, we were desperate. But my client GE is like, and I agreed, you know, they wanted 12,000 square feet, and I'm like, I can't give them 12,000 square feet in the best space. Because at, at a single digit, because the minute you do that, you know, the, the rest of your deals in lesser, you know, well-placed locations, you're going to get a much lesser rent. But, uh, and, and we were literally walking from the deal, and I, I said, hey, why do you want, you know, what's the main reason you want this space? And they said, well, you know, people don't know us in Fort Lauderdale. They know us in Miami, but they don't know us in Fort Lauderdale, and we need the main space to get the visibility and exposure you know, the impulse space. And I said, okay, well, how long will it take you for the Broward County residents to figure out, you know, who you are and, and you, know, what you're, you know, that you're here? And they said, two years. So I went back to GE and I said, look, I have this idea. You know, we're, uh, I've been canvassing for six months, 100 people a day. I, we have squat, okay? This is a 12,000 square foot tenant who wants space in our center. They would drive families to our property. This is like before Sports Authority. It was a, you know, great use. I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we see if they'll take the 12,000 square feet and in two years we get them off the end cap. We, we take back the front 4,000 square feet and add it behind. Let's see if they would do that. They did, we did, and that was the first deal. You know, you guys I'm sure have all leased properties that are hard to lease. It takes the first one to get, you know, the um, momentum going. So we did that. We leased the 12,000 square feet. It was a low-rent deal. Fast forward today, that end capped when, before DDR knocked it down and kind of changed the shopping center, was worth 40. The, the, so, the, the, so locking down that end cap, that impulse space, is terrible long term. So if you can do it, you know, and, and so, so making sure that you're putting destination tenants in destination spaces and leaving the impulse spaces 
open for the impulse uses because you you know if you only have destination spaces you're never going to lease to an, an ice cream guy or you know uh, a discount hair salon or fast casual restaurants right they need their their impulses and they need impulse spaces great information beth i appreciate that my pleasure beth ron osborne here in cooper city um you talk about bad brokerage i've called on a uh, property with one of the real well-known uh, companies up in West Palm Beach for a uh, specific user. He immediately said, no, the, uh, the city's not going to allow that use. Fast forward 48 hours, I get a call from the owner who I know because he saw my LinkedIn post uh, and said, would this tenant work? I've got a property up in XYZ City, and I said, absolutely, we start talking. I said, and I asked him who his agent was, it sounded like the same property. It was, and he said no for his client. Meanwhile, the client's going to the city to see if he can get uses, this kind of use, because he says it's only good for either uh, a fast food or an oil change guys. It's the only people that can work there. Yeah. So that's where you've got to be really careful not to say no for your client. For sure, for sure. I, I, I uh, some of you know that I have a hard time. I had a hard time leasing one of my own properties. I'm canvassing and leasing Queen, and could not lease one of my own properties. Sawgrass hired Mike Mogerman to lease it. I thought we couldn't do a certain use. He went to the city, had two or three meetings, calls me up and said, they'll do it if we do this, that, and another. So my own, this, my own, this is me. Like I own the deal and didn't do the homework and said no for myself and no for the prospect. So it's, it's good to push, you know, to push people and ask them and get them out of their comfort zone and say, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure, right? So, uh, but a lot of us are vets, are vet hats. You juniors on the phone, Jessica, who works for Jorge, don't, you know, listen to him sometimes, but when he says no, Jessica, don't listen. If you have an idea, like, you know, why am I Facebook prospecting? I'm Facebook prospecting because one day, three or four years ago, Mackenzie, who worked for me as a leasing agent, walked into my office and said, I think we should do some prospecting on Facebook. Mind you, I was not even on Facebook at the time. So not even on Facebook, I gave the great advice of that will never work. Okay, that will never work, and I'm not even on Facebook. So how smart was I to even give advice on something I didn't even participate in on a platform? And I heard myself literally the words coming out of my mouth, and I said, sorry, wrong answer. You go ahead and try it. But absolutely in my head thought, never going to work. She did it. We did a deal with Jimmy's Chocolates like a month later. And I, and I immediately got on Facebook and said, there's something to this. So vets, keep your mouth shut to your juniors. If they have an idea, even if you've tried it and it didn't work, maybe they'll do it differently and make it work. And it's okay for them to learn the lessons anyway. You can say, well, when I did it, it didn't work. But, you know, go for it. There goes the rest of my training for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Beth, so, real quick, if, um, uh, 
So Barry, we're at 12.25, I, 12.24. I usually try to end this a little early unless we, I mean, you know, to get everyone back so they can get busy. Do we have any other, Barry, do you have one last question or is there anyone on the call that has a burning question? I had real quick one hey. last question. Well, no, I'll let you, you can go on, whoever that was. Oh, hey, Beth, it's Debbie Aslan. How are you? Debbie, I loved your post this week of Kiki's and your FSU hat. Thank you. I just, uh, this is actually not a question, but I've just been in a canvassing slump, so this was just a great call for me just to get back out there um, and get myself motivated. So thank you, um, you know, for the book also, but sharing all of your knowledge as well. My pleasure, hon. The best way to get out of a canvassing slump, you know what it is? Canvas. Oh, canvas. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was going to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's, you know, we all get in funks. I get in funks myself. And I, I promise you, um, we all do it. It all happens. And the best way is to just to get up and go out and do, do something um, to shake it up a bit. And then usually you get a lead and then you're out of the, you, you get out of the funk. Yep, great. Thank you. Even the best athletes have, you know, whether it's baseball, basketball, whatever, they, they go in slumps and they just keep, they have the confidence. They just keep keep swinging, keep it, you know, shooting, and yeah, you know, eventually it just works its way out. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. It works its way out. Well, congrats again, Beth. Uh, I think everybody in this call, you know, knows you, loves you, and it's really, you know, fantastic what you've done. It's a real gift to the industry. And yeah, if you haven't read it, as I said, it's a really, it's a phenomenal read, but it's an easy read. Uh, it's like Beth, like you say, even our business is not, it's not easy, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not difficult, but it's not, e you know, it's not easy. I don't remember exactly how it's along those lines. It's, you know, I'd say the same thing. I mean, it's a great read, but, you know, tons and tons of information. We've just barely scratched the surface on this call. I mean, we could have a three-hour call and barely scratch the surface. So congrats again. Well, thank you. And, and um, I'm, I'm actually six chapters in on the next one. The next one is going to be a playbook for year one in the industry. Rookie to Rockstar, the, the, the acting title is You Can Do It Too. And it's going to be about 300 pages. It's going to be very, very thorough and deep. And, you know, day one, month one, week one, you know, Jessica, I probably won't have it done until Vegas. But, you know, Jorge and Jessica, you guys will like that. It's going to be really meaty, and I think you guys will all love it. Um, but thank you for supporting me. Uh, and if, if anyone has any future other questions that didn't, you didn't get to ask on the call, just email me and I will respond. And the next book club is Getting Things Done uh, by David Allen. It's March 15th. And the book after that, so everyone has skipped that book because I'm getting, I'm getting tons of comments on Atomic Habits, which is April 12th. So I love that you guys love Atomic Habits, but don't forget about getting things done, which is the lead up to Atomic, Hab Atomic Habits. So thank you guys. Barry, thank you so much for uh -huh. being my interviewer today. I really appreciate it, taking time out of your busy schedule. And um, I love you all, and thanks for the support. Oh.